We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game betting odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Player and team developments we expect or hope for. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. That's what we always talk about on our Friday show of Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards Per Gretch. Find my Stealing Signal Substack at bengretch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his work at Rotoviz. Sean, we're getting down, uh, especially in FFPC, getting down towards playoff season. I think for most casual list, you know, casual league listeners, we're we're still four weeks out, but we're getting down to it. What are we what are we thinking might happen down the stretch here? Well, this is an interesting week because we've got a number of big developments at running back. We had Christian McCaffrey used back in the role that makes him such a superstar. He has the 10 catches last week. And now we have, you know, further evolution within their offense with Cam Newton being injected. We touched a little bit on what that might mean last week. Newton made some wild plays. They're not wild plays, but he scored touchdowns, right? And his limited opportunities there makes him a little bit more interesting as this sort of hybrid quarterback going down the stretch. Uh, I mean, they still have DJ Moore. They still have Robbie Anderson. Obviously, now they have a healthy and dynamic Christian McCaffrey. We have Mark Ingram posting the big game with Alvin Kamara out, and now Kamara uh, trending in a more positive direction, it appears, this week. Uh, Ingram didn't really do much, and the Saints obviously missed Kamara. But even the fact that like Mark Ingram is able to score in this offense, I mean, there's still some appeal here. And then you know the big thing that we've been waiting for so long is that it looks like Saquon Barkley, you know, if he doesn't have any setbacks over the next couple of days, will return to the field in week 11. And so you've got these three superstar running backs, probably the top three backs in fantasy, if they're all healthy. They've all struggled with that this year. And then you have the offensive elements as well for them. Uh, This has to be kind of the major story for fantasy as we 
move down the stretch here, at least as we make the push for the playoffs, you know, which of these three guys is able to be healthy and to fit within offenses that have some good elements, some bad elements as we kind of go down the stretch. Yeah. It will be interesting to see, you know, whether those uh, you know, the people who drafted those players are in position. I mean, I, I definitely think this is a season where, especially like was one thing we've talked about all year is a lot of these leagues are fairly balanced from top to bottom, where if you feel like you need a push to get into the playoffs in your league, you're not quite there yet. This is a season where that can happen. I think, I mean, there's certainly everything is, is flat enough. There is certainly potential for individual players to have really big stretches that push you into your playoffs um, that can come from a lot of places. I mean, we have a lot of really good players that have been sort of middling and could kind of separate still at this point and be really like huge assets, huge, uh, you know, top top player. I mean, obviously the fantasy playoffs and a performance in, in that stretch is always going to uh, allow a player to separate. But I was just thinking, you know, we were talking on ship chasing a little about some of our sort of zero RB teams are starting to surge and yeah, I mean, it just it, you mentioned those top running backs. It fits in sort of similarly because certainly, you know, if you've hung around and you have McCaffrey, I think you're in good position is sort of what I'm saying. Even if you're not in the playoffs, I think you're in really good position to win your league, which is not usually the case. If you're not even in playoffs at this stage, it, but, but there are a lot of paths for teams this year, especially, in my opinion to have this surge over the last few weeks to make the playoffs and then to be basically the best team in their playoffs in their league. I mean, the things that have sort of propelled teams to this point to the tops of, of leagues, I don't necessarily think are as likely to stick the rest of the way as they, as they were in many other years, right? It, it sort of depends obviously on the individual team and the individual players, but there's a lot of things that could happen the rest of the way that, you know, it, it's just been one of those years. It is funny you mentioned those three guys and, and said if they're all healthy, they might be the top three backs. But the one guy that you know we love to talk about is Jonathan Taylor. He he came to mind. It's like, well, he's got to be there too. So I, I just I gotta say that. I just had I just we've talked about Taylor enough this week, but I had to throw that in. And he is leading the way with a little over 21 points per game. Austin Eckler, the other back over 20, with the exception, obviously, of Derrick Henry who was out. And so the Derrick Henry injury changed everything. Uh, you mentioned that it's flatter and it definitely feels that way. There are a lot of different paths to making it. One of the things we talk about all the time is trying to have six of the top 15 wide receivers. I don't have a lot of teams that necessarily have that this year, but a lot of teams with four of the top 10 or five of the top 15-ish. I mean, I would still like to be even stronger at receiver there, but receivers can propel you as a group because we're not having running backs just grab the league that's going to be the team that's out there and you don't have any chance right when I mean, you have Kamara, who even with the various things that have happened eight games you know just a hair under 20 you have nashi harris at just a hair under 19 our guy deandre swift just a little bit over 18 players like elliot and mixon who are both averaging in that 17.8 17.7 range i mean those are first and second round picks who, if you have them, I mean, you're very glad that you do, and they have put your team in a decent position, but you're going to still need a lot else with them in order to have a league-winning type of team. And so it, it, there are definitely going to be some individual teams out there that have some of these guys and then have Cooper Cup and Debo Samuel, and then those teams obviously are winning. But with the exceptions of that type of build, 
everybody's going to be clustered pretty close together. And, you know, if you have a McCaffrey or if you have a Barkley and perhaps you had a Cordero Patterson who was able to carry you to this point, then you've got to be really excited about how the last you know third of the season could go. But the flip side of that, one of the teams I'm most excited about right now probably is not going to make the FFPC playoffs, has not scored particularly well to this point. It's actually about 80 points out of the final playoff spot right now. Had a different head-to-head matchup gone differently. It was a four, you know, one team beat another team by four points. If that if that result had been flipped last week, the team we're chasing for points would actually be in on record. And then we'd only be 40 points out on points, uh, you know, chasing the next highest points team. This is not a team I'm doing to you, Sean, but it still has the potential, I guess, to be chasing that that team that it's trailing by 40 if the head to head, if the you know the win losses sort out in the way that we would hope. But the anyway, the reason I bring this team up is to like just sort of mention some of the players. I mean, it's a Kelsey first round team. It's got AJ Brown and Justin Jefferson and DJ Moore, who are all guys who have not been consistently great. I mean, Jefferson, I think, has been better than it seems like he's getting discussed and, and I I keep mentioning, it feels like he's had this season of near misses is is basically right on par with what he did last year in a lot of ways as well. You look at yards per game. He's right there where he was last year has missed out on some touchdowns. The early one that was a touchdown that got overturned or, or, you know, didn't get, didn't get overturned on review or whatever it was. Some, some missed deep shots from cousins throughout the year that could have been big plays that, you know, are massive over the course of a season. You have an extra couple of 50-yard touchdowns. That's huge. But yeah, Jefferson, Brown, more guys that I, I think have the potential to be explosive, especially if Newton can help more, who still is seeing a ton of volume. Then you have Kelsey that has Dak. We also have Michael Gallup, who we waited for, and we can stack with Dak. And so if Dak were to go on a little bit of a run, it might, you know, include Gallup. And then this team has A.J. Dillon, and it also has Dernish Johnson. We haven't gotten Nick Chubb cleared. It sounds like there's some potential here as we record this on Thursday morning that Chubb may not play this week. They've already cleared another one of the running backs, I believe, was John Kelly. Um, and so there's some conversation there that that we might not have Chubb again this week. And I look at a team like this, and I'm like, okay, you were mentioning the 17, 18 points per game for some of these Zeeks and Mixons that are great. But this is also what I was thinking about when I was mentioning that some of these zero RB teams are well positioned. If you have an AJ Dillon, I don't see him as much different, right, than you know, like a Zeke or a Mixon right now. I mean, maybe a little bit, and maybe maybe some people would object to that comment, but I think Dillon's gonna have a really nice week this week and for a couple of weeks while Aaron Jones is out. Um, the same has been true of Durnest when he's played. So if you have a couple of running backs in position like that. You know, maybe it's not not Ernest, maybe it's Alex Collins if we get Chris Carson out again, or it's, you know, there's several several other options. We just had Ramondre last week. Uh, if you have a couple of backs like that right now, and you have a lot of firepower wide receivers, some of these guys that have been a little bit dormant, but have the potential to really explode. I mean, it's a team like that that I'm looking at, and I'm going, you know, this team's probably not going to make it, but I really want it to. <laughs> yeah, it's got this potential it's correlated with the Dak Gallup thing. It's got some really high ceiling receivers and, and obviously Kelsey at tight end who has started to emerge finally now and be the number one tight end. And if he can continue to do that, could just be an, a, a huge asset over these next couple of weeks. It's got two weeks to make up a ton of points. It's probably not going to, like I said, but those are the types of teams I'm looking at. And I'm like, Ooh, this is, this is pretty exciting. Well, Ben, I, I don't think it would be, I, I mean, I think I would prefer to have AJ Dillon over Ezekiel Elliott and Joe Mixon in you know, in those games where he's the starter by himself, I think that he is 
more talented at this point. I mean, obviously Ezekiel Elliott has been a star in the past and has more upside within the course of what that offense is going to do, especially if Elliott is going to lose touches to Pollard. Now, most of the touches that he lost last week were during the blowout portion of it. So, you know, he was able to get the two touchdowns in there early. You and I have a team. We tried to draft with a variety of approaches this year to give the listeners a sense of some different things you can do. If you do want to go a little bit more running back heavy, you were talking about teams that are exciting and fun and may miss. You and I drafted a running back times three team, which uh, was both fun and made us feel a little dirty there. <laughs> that team is interesting because it has Jonathan Taylor. It has DeAndre Swift. It also has Saquon Barkley. And so you're looking at that and thinking, okay, well, I mean, this team has just crazy, crazy upside. But then in part because then you don't have the wide receiver depth, you don't have all that flex ability to dominate that you would otherwise have. And so the injury to Barkley in some ways hurts more on a team with running backs than one without running backs. I mean, that seems weird to say. You're like, okay, well, these teams that had some other runners, then you can get through it because you still have something for the running back position. But the problem is that if you had three running backs, you need all of them to stay healthy and you need one of them to contribute in the flex and you don't get that. Suddenly there, you're in trouble. We have Juju on that team. That pick was not going to be a good pick, but also him getting hurt really hollows out the wide receiver position. And so even though we have good tight ends, we have the emergence from Dalton Schultz, was, which was good. We have Noah Fiant, who has scored pretty well most of the time. That team now has to make up some points. So still possible. Two weeks to go. You have those guys. If Barkley is in there, we've got a good lineup for the next couple of weeks in terms of how the buys work out for us. You know, if you can post 190 twice, then you probably make up the stagger but you still need to do that. So I think that that's interesting. It's one of the things that I've talked about a lot in OT is that these running back heavier teams that Colin and I drafted in some situations where we were playing with listeners, even when those teams look good and had a lot of values, those teams are just wildly underperforming. A lot of the teams that I did with Blair, for example, which obviously Blair and I draft very wide receiver heavy, those best ball teams are you know, more or less dominating. And so that contrast again, kind of, underlines a lot of the things that we've been saying and undermines, I think, some of the RB heavy ideas where people are like, oh, well, you know, if you're playing in a league with everybody else doing it wrong, then it's going to be a different dynamic. You know, that's that's not necessarily true. So, yeah, I think your point about Barkley getting hurt ne more negatively impacting a team that went running back heavy is a really interesting one because and sort of this idea of like, what's the strength of your team? And if you go running back heavy, I mean, that's where you got to get your points. That's what it comes down to. I mean, you have to hit multiple league winners there. I mean, I, one of the ways that I talked about this in the off season was even, you know, 2019 Christian McCaffrey went nuts. He had like a 30% win rate or something, right. Or 35% or whatever, which is a massive number in terms of win rates. But also if you think about it in terms of a percentage, what's what that's saying is like, a third of the teams who drafted this player who was incredible won their leagues and two thirds did not. And part of the reason, you know, that almost also seems crazy. And part of the reason that uh, a lot of these teams don't draft well is, or the reason is that, or excuse me, that they don't perform well is that they don't necessarily draft well outside of that one pick. And one of the, <laughs> I think one of the, you know, one of the things I was talking about this off season that happens is when you commit so many resources to running back early, even when you hit on Christian McCaffrey, even when you get what you're looking for, the absolute league winning type elite running back, 
if your other running backs get hurt early, you've squandered so much early draft capital in your drafts that you still don't win your league. You're a part of that 65% or whatever it is that doesn't win even with Christian McCaffrey. And so you've structured yourself in such a way that even when you accomplish the goal of trying to really have this massive ceiling running back, you may not win, right? If if uh, your other running back or your other running backs get injured, because that has to be the strength of your team. Now, if you, any, any team that's a Christian McCaffrey and loaded up on receiver that year one, basically, right? And to your point, if you take Saquon this year and load up at receiver, you're probably not in a great position. But if you did hit on a lot of those receivers, I mean, that can still be the strength of your team. And that could be something that could be carrying you, especially if you hit on Cup or, or Debo or any of those elements. So, um, you know, losing Barkley, okay, well, you were never necessarily going to be particularly deep at running back anyway when you just did like a one running back build. You were hoping to, to lock up one of those running back spots, but you're still making the wide receiver points the focus. And, and that can still succeed. It can also fail. I have a team where I went Barkley early in a, in a more casual league, and then I just kind of hit all the misses at wide receiver injuries. And I know it's took Visca in that league and Judy and has not panned out the way that, that I would have hoped. But, you know, that that's sort of the way the season's gone. Sean, one thing I talked about on, on ship chasing the other night that I kind of wanted to get your opinion on, but was this idea as we, we were spending some time kind of – from a macro discussion talking about what's worked and what hasn't worked this year, even as this season has been one that a lot of different strategies have worked and a lot of things haven't been clear hits necessarily. I think one of the biggest storylines this year for the way that we draft and the way that we promoted things in the off season and, and the way our teams are doing is that those first and second round receivers have not necessarily been fantastic. Tyreek Hill has been very good. Adams has been a little bit down. Diggs obviously had struggles. Ridley and Metcalf, DeAndre Hopkins, AJ Brown, there's a lot of, I mean, even if you go into the third round, Terry McLaurin, Keenan Allen struggled for a long time. You had Allen Robinson in the third round. We weren't taking all these guys, but a lot of these players, you know, Robert Woods has now been injured and, and struggled. Did I mention him? Yeah, no, I don't know if I did. Uh, Amari Cooper hasn't even been amazing. I mean, those first three rounds, four rounds, I'm looking at a draft board now. Those are all, I just named all the receivers except uh, Justin Jefferson and CeeDee Lamb, I think, I think are the only two I didn't mention that went in the first three rounds of this this draft that I'm looking at this it's actually the running back heavy draft that we did that they haven't necessarily dominated what we preach is taking a lot of receivers in the first 10 rounds in this range where guys can be absolute high ceiling elite players and that you're not going to be able to find those types of wide receivers later and for the most part that's been true but the really really interesting dynamic is that this year the top top wide receivers in ADP in the first few rounds didn't really hit. I don't think that means that I don't think that tells us anything really. I don't think that means that they were guys that couldn't hit. Uh, but the ones that did hit really, really big were fourth rounder Cooper Cup, fifth rounder Jamar Chase, at least in this draft I'm looking at, seventh rounder Debo Samuel. And so because of that part of it, really, you know, it's the the RB dead zone. You didn't want to be taking running backs in that range. You could have taken running backs earlier if you hit on all those, you know, mid-round receivers. But the main point I'm trying to drive home is our whole, I mean, you can you can say that this is a year where basically you just wanted to take the best players and you wanted to hit on all that. And that's, you know, something that gets levied a lot. It's not an actual strategy, and that could be true any year. It's, it's very difficult to know how to do that. Our goal is to be redundant at wide receiver so that we do have a higher opportunity of hitting those best players. And, and to the extent that this year has shown that those, those wide receivers in the first 10 rounds or seven or eight rounds had those types of ceilings, that has 
proven strong for our goal. I mean, we have Jamar Chase. We have Debo Samuel. We don't have as much Cooper Cup as we should, but we have access to a lot of these wide receivers because of the way we drafted. And because of that way, the way that we drafted, our teams are doing well. What's really, really interesting is this dynamic where the, the, the later receivers in that early range have been basically higher ceiling than the early receivers. If that was flipped, and obviously it's not, but if it was, if we were getting a ceiling year out of Diggs or Hill or Adams or really any of these early early receivers that was really crushing, I mean, it would just be so clear that zero RB would have been the way to go this year and all of that because there hasn't been the elite running back ceiling. But because that wide receiver ceiling has been flipped from the first three rounds to the fourth, the sixth, seventh round, uh, it's really muddied sort of what the strategy was that worked. But I do, I do just want to emphasize for people who are, uh, you know, we're new to these concepts this offseason. I've been trying to figure out during this year whether or not, you know, these things made sense. I think it's very clear that our sort of stated goal to get wide receiver ceilings through these first eight to 10 rounds has proven accurate. And the only element of it that hasn't made this super, super obvious to everyone is that really pretty, you know, variance or fluky element where more ceilings have come out of that four to seven range than the top three rounds, which doesn't happen most years at wide receiver. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic there. And you mentioned some of the guys who missed. The other element of it is that we have some very specific criteria that we're looking for in the receivers that we're drafting, even within those first seven or eight rounds. And it makes a big difference in terms of who you have sort of year over year over year. And I don't want to make this out to be that we have some preternatural ability to know who is going to hit during the season. Obviously you would, like you said, we would prefer to have more cup. We talked on the the last show about LaVisca Chenault, where he is kind of jokingly picked him up on one of our teams this week. Uh, He's someone where if we had less exposure to him, a player who actually does fit the profile that we want, we'd be in even better shape you know, sometimes you go back and be like, oh, if we just hadn't drafted this guy, we'd be fine. And, you know, that can be a problem because you actually want to draft the misses that fit within your criteria too. When you go back and try and figure out how you could have avoided taking this guy who actually had the right things going for him, then the next year you make a lot of mistakes as opposed to just missing on that guy. So most of the early players who haven't done well, we actually don't have a lot of exposure to. I was just kind of looking through the scoring here. And if you take Antonio Brown out, who has the five games, maybe he would have been able to sustain it if he had stayed healthy. But you have 10 other guys who have scored 17 plus at the receiver position. Cup is number one. We don't have a lot there, but we have a lot of exposure to the rest of this group here in terms of Debo, Samuel, Tyreek Hill. I mean, Tyreek Hill, I still think, is probably the best first-round pick in 2021, right? And so you hit on him. Our Tyreek Hill teams are doing very well. He's one of the reasons why we're in such good shape in so many uh, different environments. And I I like the, the upside for him to be kind of that playoff hammer as well that we often see from the running back position. Doesn't mean it'll necessarily happen, but I think it's a strong possibility as we kind of look forward and think to what is going to happen. Jamar Chase, a lot there. Devontae Adams, another first-round pick. You're not going to get them both. We kind of went for Hill. That's been a little bit lucky in some ways because it's kind of been the multiple COVID things within that team that's kept Adams from being just a massive smash play again this season. 
I would expect him to finish strong. Marquise Brown, C.D. Lamb, we have a lot of. Chris Godwin, we have a lot of. Justin Jefferson, we have a lot of. And Stephon Diggs, we have a lot of. So Diggs there, you know, at number 10, if you drafted in the first round, you're definitely hoping that um, he would have scored more points. But within that group, we have extremely high exposure. And then we're lower exposure on the vast majority of these guys that missed. And so you put that together and you have four or five of those guys on your teams and you had the priority of Debo as he came through for all the reasons we've talked about throughout the season. And now you have this team with four receivers who are in the top 10. And number one, that's carried you to a great point to this juncture. And number two, you're in very good shape going forward because as you mentioned in terms of discussing your Scott Fishbowl team with people on Twitter and on shows and that kind of thing, there have been a lot of opportunities to mix in running backs to get you those points and at the same time, you would have had a chance to take a shot at someone like a DeAndre Swift. If you have those receivers and then put Swift in there with them, and then you have all of these chances to do a Dylan or a Stevenson. Now, I don't have nearly as much Cordero Patterson. My co-host on Overtime, Colin Kelly, has a ton. His teams have been doing extremely well. But there have been a lot of options there. And even someone, you know, though we're not a big fan of, but you could have drafted in that clear zero RB range. And those people are kind of laughing all the way to the bank. If you have Leonard Fournette with those guys, I mean, you're absolutely dominating. And so there were a lot of pathways to getting to where you needed to be that really relied on that wide receiver strategy. And kind of like you mentioned, yeah, the scoring hasn't been exactly the way that we expected, but the scoring in general has worked out very well for if you loaded up on the receivers to fit the profiles that we wanted in the rounds where they were going. You know, you, you want to go ahead and take them in the, in the rounds there. That doesn't mean that somebody who approached it a different way couldn't have hit on a cup in a Samuel because they could have. We have a lot more chances to hit on those guys because of the way that we draft. And, you know, it's easy to kind of pick out your one team that hit on them and be like, okay, well, this was the way to do it this year. Our teams across the board who are ha- who are wide receiver heavy are still looking very good because we have great exposure to all these guys. Yeah, and that's sort of the whole point of the strategy. And that and I think you said that very well you know across the board there sort of the point i was trying to drive home is that the the approach that we're taking is meant to sort of simplify things during the draft in a way that you almost no matter how the season plays out will be in a good position this has been a weird year where there really hasn't been a truly dominant strategy but certainly having exposure to a lot of receivers early has given you that advantage and Sort of the point I was trying to make kind of a, you know, off the wall one, but it could have been even more clear. Now, I know that people who draft running backs early would would make a counterpoint here and say, well, it could have been clear that you needed a running back early if there was an elite ceiling. And there have been for most seasons dating back to, you know, 2015. We've had a stretch of, uh, you know, at least one 25 point running back every year uh, for the last about five, five plus years that was drafted high and and played at least you know 14 games or something i think it is and yeah i mean that's why we mixed in some early running backs as well i mean i i I do understand that like this season has been weird from that respect as well but sort of regardless there there are the i mean i i think what you said was very um what, what you said was if you focus too much on like the lavisca chenault miss you will overcorrect and make more mistakes next time you know next year i think that's incredibly important those misses are going to happen when you're shooting for these types of breakout young you know young receivers that could be monstrous 
Jamar Chase could have missed this year, but he didn't. Um, the analogy that came to mind when you said that is like when I go golf, like I used to tweak my swing constantly. If I if I pull a ball left or if I slice a ball, how do I need to adjust? Oh, I need to get my hands inside more. I need to do this. I need to do that. And then you just wind up spraying the ball all over the field for your whole or all over the course for your whole round. What I've kind of learned a little bit in my older age, and that's actually made me better at golf, is when I hit a bad shot, sometimes you just hit a bad shot and, and literally just try to hit the exact same swing next time. Don't think anything different. Do the exact same thing because you have been playing decent enough golf or whatever. And you can't expect yourself to hit 100% great shots is sort of the mentality, right? And you don't need to change something just because you didn't hit 100% great shots. When you go to the range, you're not going to hit 100% perfect drives. You might hit, you know, if you're hitting particularly well, you might hit 80% really well. But when you get out on the course and that one out of five bad shots happens and you pull a ball out of the woods, you want to change something for the next drive or you get worried about, you know, there's out of bounds on the left side of the course again on this hole. And anyway, it's exact same thing in my mind. At least that's an analogy I, I think hopefully resonates with people who play golf with drafting where yes, we made that mistake on Chanel, but it's also the reason we were on all of these good picks and, and over multiple years, these things do work. And I do think it's important to, to talk about it in the context of the example that we have this one seasonal outcome of 2021 that is just one outcome, right? It's one example. But in the context of that, this worked, right? And so, um, yeah, anyway, I think it's a fun discussion. And we don't want to suggest that there isn't any evaluation of the individual picks and of the strategy because there is. And we spend basically the whole season and we'll spend the whole offseason uh, next year with Ceiling Bananas looking at these different elements, trying to figure out if there are ways that we can be better. We also are not trying to be dogmatic with it. You know, we've said multiple times and we drafted in a way that had a, a modified zero RB approach or whatever you want to label it especially because one of the things we talked about this year is that we actually liked the second round running backs and felt like there was a chance to get that Tyreek Hill and then come back because of just the the pricing that has turned out to be wrong I think that there was some legitimate reason for it we were very high on Taylor but he did drop into the second round if you can come back and get him in round two you know with Tyreek Hill then you feel like you have really hit on the perfect start the other thing there with Swift so I mean you can get that guy if they hit the criteria, again, that you're looking for. I mean, if you have a guy in round two and round three that you really feel like should be a top 10 player, then, you know, that gives you a little bit more flexibility as well to start with your Tyreek Hill. The other thing that really did hurt was having Calvin Ridley walk away from the game. Now, that's not a criticism at all. He needed to do that, and that was good for him, and we, we definitely support that. If he had been able to play and – the Falcons offense work, then we probably would have seen a little bit more there. The, the teams that I have with Ridley, those teams are struggling because you lose a player there who you know, didn't go down with an injury, but you're just your, your second round pick out. I mean, have some Barkley Ridley teams that are still in the mix because of that group of receivers drafted after them and the overall construction. There's no question you play without Barkley, you play without Ridley for this six, seven week stretch. I mean, it's, it's hard, right? I mean, you do need some scoring from those guys up at the top. Then after the break, we'll jump back into some uh, more macro analysis and some, and some specific player developments from week 10, see how they might carry forward for us over the next month of the season. 
Colin Kelly here, the executive producer of the Road of His Radio Podcast Network and co-host of the Road of His Overtime Podcast, along with the phenomenal Sean Siegel. The wait is over, the NFL season is here, and there's no better time than the present to sign up for a Road of His NFL Pass. You'll get access to all of our content, all of our tools, and everything you need to help you for that in-season success. As a loyal podcast listener, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL Pass just by adding the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Go to rotaviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. Let's go get those championships. I hope you enjoy the podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, Ben, we mentioned Antonio Brown has missed some games, mentioned that Leonard Fournette has uh, been a big zero RB winner, obviously not for our teams. Oh, I I did want to mention to you before we go even further, the big free agency development this week for our dynasty team, we were able to add Ronald Jones. Oh, I didn't even see that. (laughs) I'm I'm so uh, disconnected with with certain certain teams, but I didn't realize he got cut. Nice work. Are you excited to have Ronald Jones as our 20th player? Absolutely. I mean, look, like, I don't, I mean. Is Ronald Jones a young, fast, former 1,000-yard rusher? Yeah. I mean, look, this dude's, he's a free agent at the end of the year. I think, I don't, I don't know what will happen. I think there's, like, a really strong case to be made that he's not going to be back in Tampa Bay, that he's going to decide, I don't want to be in Tampa Bay anymore. He's been efficient as a runner. I mean, I know people love to dog him. I don't know. I said, again, we're hitting on a lot of topics that I talked on or that uh, I talked with the other guys about on, on ship chasing. But I said on ship chasing this week, I still think he's better than Leonard Fournette. I mean, I know that sounds like I'm uh, just you know, doubling down on takes. And there's people that are Fournette drafters listening to this that think I'm an absolute idiot. That's, that's a, a hot button topic. And then there's other people who, I'm sure are pumping their fists and like, yeah, I believe the same thing. Cause it's just Fournette versus Jones has been such a big thing, but Jones has been good. Like throughout his career, he averages 4.5 yards per carry this year. He's at 4.4. 4. 
Last year, 5.1 when he got more work. I mean, yards per carry, not a great stat, obviously, but he's explosive, like you said. Well, the more chances he gets, the more chances for those 90-yard touchdown runs that really juice that yards per carry. Right, and look, I understand he's he's has issues in the passing game. It's very true, but like he goes to a new team and he gets an opportunity to run with with any regularity. I mean, look at like Jamal Williams, for example, went over to Detroit, got an opportunity to be sort of the early down grinder at the early part of this year and had some big games. I think we're going to see some of that from Ronald Jones in 2022, wherever he winds up. Probably not going to be a lead back. He's on a second contract. Probably not going to get a great contract. I mean, he's a running back that's barely played and there's there's probably elements to that. I'm not denying that like, you know, the fact that he can't get on the field, there's probably stuff in in, in practice and all of these things behind the scenes we're not seeing that are, are problematic. But he is athletic. I think it's very hard to make a case that he's not athletic and productive as a runner when given opportunities. Um, so when I say, you know, for example, he's better than Fournette, like Fournette is good, but like he does nothing particularly well. He just does everything adequately. Uh, he's kind of like Daryl Williams or whatever. Like, honestly, I mean, I think Daryl Williams goes ahead of Leonard Fournette with his performance last week. That was a star-making <laughs> turn. The I mean, But my other thing here is Ronald Jones, 2022 week one starter for the Kansas City Chiefs. You say the Chiefs can't run these defenses out of it. I mean, Jones will get through those gaps, 20, 30 yards at a chunk. Look for it by Ronald Jones now. Uh, ben, is it a good sign that Fournette led the Buccaneers in targets this past week? We had a, a like a 4.5 depth of target for Chris Godwin. We had three targets for Mike Evans. Gibson is out. Gronkowski is out. Brady is throwing the ball to the defense. Uh, <laughs> we've talked, and, and we would like to see her. We would have at some point. It is kind of a dead dream now. Giovanni Bernard incorporated a little bit more. They tried to use him down at the goal line in this game. We had two targets. One was a miscommunication. The other one uh, was kind of a drop. I mean, Tom Brady spiked it off of his back shoulder. Uh, from like two yards away. Tom Brady makes it obvious with his passing targets to Ronald Jones and Giovanni Bernard that he does not want them in the game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe that's it. I, I do think, I, I will say this, I do think Leonard Fournette is the right back for what Tampa's trying to do right now. Or uh, I, I don't know if that's entirely true. I think he has been for the mo most part of, in this season. To your point, whether this is a good thing or whatever, I mean, Tom Brady, another quarterback, that has seen, uh, you know, defenses drop back and it created some problems for him. His dot fell. Obviously, like you said, throwing nine targets to, to Leonard Fournette out of the backfield is not really the ideal way to deal with it. And Brady's a guy, look, he can read defenses. He's smart. He's sharp. He's taking the passes that that are the best option. I, I definitely trust that. But this that's not great for their offense overall, which means, as a lot of teams have said, to get these teams out of the cover two and all that, you need a running back that can be explosive. And, and you just made a joke that like Ronald Jones on the Chiefs would be what they need. Some, and like it's almost the same thing right now for the Bucks. that like I kind of mentioned this in Stealing Signals this week that, I mean, if it were me, I would be giving Ronald Jones 15 carries this week and and he'd probably run for 75 yards as the as teams are starting to drop back into two deep zones against Brady as well, rather than throwing underneath. I mean, basically I'm saying they should have done that last week against Washington rather than take, you know, keep throwing and take check down to Leonard Fournette, like try to establish the running game with your better pure rusher, in my opinion, at least. Some people might disagree with that. Anyway, uh, Fournette, for the most part, with their pass heavy game plan and all the things they've been doing has made more sense because he can do all the things at a more adequate level than Jones can do all the things. But 
yeah, it's not good for their offense. They probably that I think their counterpunch is Ronald Jones. I don't think they're going to go to it. Fournette was the back who generated the most negative fantasy points over expectation as a receiver from 2019 to 2020 is negative again this season it's not an efficient way to run the offense it's probably better than handing him the ball however uh interesting dynamic here it it sounds like antonio brown and rob brownkowski are getting a little bit closer to coming back it'll be interesting to see how they work back into the offense brady obviously needs them he needs a lot of weapons at this point in his career as you mentioned a fantastic decision maker you know very few people are going to read the defense anywhere in his uh, universe in terms of those kinds of things. He gets those guys back. He will be able to use them. It'll be interesting to see if that helps or hurts Gibson and Evans. Evans was able to dodge the horrible game with the long touchdown late. They also needed uh, just another drive, right? If Washington doesn't kill the last 10 minutes of this game, then the fantasy numbers look different for Brady and the receivers there. Part of the reason they were able to kill the game from Washington's perspective, Antonio Gibson continuing to really battle through this shin injury, and he was battling against this elite Tampa Bay Buccaneers run defense. Obviously, he's not going to be efficient on a yards per carry basis against that wall, but then he sets a new season high in opportunities. Unfortunately, almost all of them are carries, but this was kind of 2020 Antonio Gibson style, right? The performance that kind of elevated him very quickly to Colt status he scores the two touchdowns we had a corresponding decline in jd mckissick touches is he through the injury i mean are we going to get a burst from gibson obviously the 11 touchdowns in his first 11 nfl appearances those touchdowns have dried up but for gibson drafters who are still alive i mean he's someone who hasn't been hurt but the level of his performance has been problematic for people who spent what they spent on him. But if the rest of your team is good, you should still be in good shape here to make a push. Can he be the running back who suddenly elevates and leads people to fantasy titles? Unfortunately, I don't think so. I mean, I'm not as optimistic early in the year. I was optimistic because some of his, you know, his routes had ticked up. He had taken a larger share of the routes on the, you know, on the early downs sort of neutral situations. His routes were back up here uh, to 35% dropbacks. That was higher than any of his three most recent games. It was also lower than any of his first five, which is, you know, when I was a little bit excited that his role had started to expand a little bit and might continue to expand. It still needed to expand more. He's now in this range where, yes, he's healthier off the bye. He's running more routes than he did in those few games leading into the bye. But he's not even back to the to the range that he was at early in the season, which was more just like a positive note. It's where he wound up this week, this 35% routes, a lot like last year. J.D. McKissick still getting involved. The, the split looked a lot like last year. What benefited him a lot this week was the positive game script. They're leading the Bucs. He gets a ton of carries. I mean, obviously a tough run D for the Bucs. He doesn't run particularly efficiently. But he gets what was it? Just uh, all, all five of the team's green zone touches. He gets five carries inside the ten yard line. That's great. It's not also going to happen every week. Five green zone touches is a ton. Up until this week, uh, the season high for any player was six. But this week, <clears throat> Dalvin Cook set a new season high. He had eight this this past week. But typically, five or six green zone touches. That's a lot. I mean, for one running back, for even one team to have that many running plays inside the ten yard line. You don't see that a lot. A lot of teams won't have any green zone touches in a game, sometimes one or two. Uh, so anyway, uh, Gibson 
got a ton of work in close, punched in two touchdowns, caught a couple passes. His routes were back up higher than they were right before the bye. But I do think going forward, we're in sort of the role that we were in last year. You mentioned that a lot of that was touchdown dependent. The targets aren't going to be as great for him or McKissick, frankly. I mean, they've been pretty solid. But last year, part of the thing that was so good for both of these guys was you had you know, Colt McCoy playing a little bit, but then also most importantly, Alex Smith, who just throws to the running backs at a, at a crazy high rate. And then Gibson was running really hot in terms of touchdowns and, and green zone touches. I don't see all of those elements benefiting Gibson. I, I think the targets, if you're only getting 35% routes and you have a mobile quarterback, he's probably only get two or three targets a game. You're not going to get five green zone touches a game. You got to be very efficient as a runner. And I don't think you really have a ceiling when you have that kind of a profile. Yeah. So Gibson, someone who i mean he's just gonna need those touches in close like you mentioned i I was very impressed by taylor heineke in this game in terms of the competitiveness we still see individual throws that are concerning you and i have some terry mclaurin on our most important team we would like to see him emerge a little more he's been a little bit like a a stealth dj Moore in terms of guys drafted in that range where they get kind of emerge to you know 2022 first round picks or slide a little bit unfortunately quarterback play has mitigated the contributions of both of them mclaurin with the collarbone concern early in this game returns to play has the six for 59 line that that's not enough for us we'll see what washington can do moving forward obviously in games where they have a chance to control it with running gibson into the line they will do that then the other kind of I don't know, crazy, but we we saw the Cowboys. We know the Cowboys versus the Chiefs is going to be the kind of signature game of Week 11. I joked with you on Sunday night about the Denver Broncos and what they had done to the Cowboys the previous week, and, and you kind of laughed back and and you know, said, "We'll we'll put a pin in that one and and chat about that a little bit later." The Broncos really dissolve against the Eagles after this game that they had had against the Cowboys. I was watching this one, the family Javante Williams scores (laughs) the immediate joke is, I mean, that play is going to be overturned because Javante Williams never scores. Of course that is what happened. They have so many weapons. And Ben, I know that you are not a Teddy Bridgewater fan because of what he did to your guy last season, but he had played mostly pretty well this year. And then he runs into these games like this, right? We have the receivers going for, fewer than 100 total yards they have just 25 yards after the catch Cortland Sutton has been crushed by the return of Jerry Judy he gets only three targets and only 33 air yards for a guy who was the air yard king up until that point they also do a lot of weird things in this game where they punt down 17 in the fourth quarter they have those couple of chances for garbage touchdowns or something late in Bridgewater you know, basically throws the ball out of bounds as opposed to giving his guys chances on plays that don't matter. And so you kind of wonder if that's one where he's just kind of protecting that INT ratio as opposed to, you know, attacking and trying to do anything interesting here. We look at the issue and we look at the Eagles as a team that creates some of these problems for opponents, both with their run heavy approach and with what they ask you to do on defense. The Brown, the Broncos go into the bye. And so I'm kind of interested in what you think they will come out looking like again i mean we could make the case that no offense has more skill position talent in the entire nfl but they also for people who are kind of rooting for individual guys in this offense 
to jump back. I mean, they don't have a super favorable schedule down the stretch. They've got a couple of games with the Chargers who could ask them to do similar things to what the Eagles just did and cause similar problems. Um, we're still trying to trade Teddy Bridgewater on our teams. I know you're not the best uh, person to make the pitch for him. I mean, you're not going to be a, a Bridgewater PR man, but you know, are we going to see a burst from Denver down the stretch? I mean, they looked so good taking apart the Cowboys to where, you know, Chiefs fans, Chargers fans, Raiders fans had to be worried that even if they aren't actually threats to win the division, they could definitely be a huge spoiler as the AFC West battles down the stretch. And then, I don't know, this is a team similar to the situation with the Panthers, similar to the situation with the Lions. I mean, maybe some opportunities this offseason to actually have addressed their quarterback position and instead you know, they're sitting in this group that has Goff, that has Darnold, that has Bridgewater, and I mean they're they're getting crushed because of it. Yeah. This is the other team that <clears throat> you you want just have to sit and wonder what they would look like if they had Justin Fields, right? I mean, that's been a big talking point with the Panthers, but both of these teams took cornerbacks in the top ten and, and passed up fields and did not have the answers at quarterback. And you know, part of that I, I do wonder going all the way back to the draft is, you know. Did they think they were going to have a real shot at, at Aaron Rodgers? Um, I think certainly the case could be made for Denver. That, that was sort of the the thought right away. Um, so they didn't want to draft the first round quarterback and, and basically Jordan love him before they even had a shot to get him. But you know it doesn't pan out. And now you're you're starting Teddy Bridgewater all year. He's been fine, like you said. He was better, it seemed, when Judy was out, which is weird. But it's almost like when Teddy Bridgewater has good players to throw to underneath, that's a problem because he's not going to actually throw the ball down the field if you have guys that can get open at will underneath. And so, you know, Judy's routes were up to a season high 89%. He easily leads in targets with nine, catches six balls for only 48 yards. He also had Fant back from his one-week absence. He gets six targets underneath. You have Tim Patrick getting six targets underneath and only gaining 14 yards. And then you have Sutton, who's just, you know, like you said, he's in the DJ Moore situation now. He's running downfield routes, and Bridgewater has guys to throw to underneath that are working. When he didn't, he was chucking it up to Sutton, and it was actually a little bit of a better situation that he was sort of forced to let Sutton go make plays and throw. You know, we talked way back in the offseason. It makes me think of Mike Williams. You were talking a lot this offseason about Herbert acknowledging he needed to throw him open to some degree or be willing to put balls up when he's in one-on-one -on -one coverage and let him go make plays. Bridgewater's not willing to do that. He's going at this point, he's just taking everything that's there underneath, which isn't working and doesn't work and didn't work for Carolina last year. And yeah, I mean, I don't know what's going to look like after the bye. There's obviously calls for Drew Locke to play and that might happen. I don't think Locke is good either. And so it becomes a big challenge. I don't think that's going to necessarily improve things. He will get more vertical, I think, and he'll probably be better for Sutton. Judy's the one that if Bridgewater continues to play, I think could have a really nice stretch the rest of the way just by hogging targets he's been really good uh in terms of earning targets per route both as a rookie last year again this year the efficiency hasn't really spiked the way we'd like to see but he did come right back after this injury and start earning targets right away his routes weren't all the way back until this week basically he got up to 89 percent and he's going to run a bunch of routes and he's going to continue to maintain a high target per out run rate he's going to have these nine target games you'd hope to see better than six for 48 but uh, if he's getting 9, 10, 11 targets every single week, then he's going to have better than 6 or 48 some weeks, and that's great. So uh, he's the one that I'm excited about. Fant, I think, I mean, all the stuff we talked about in the offseason, they fit better with what Bridgewater does. That's what it looked like this week.
it's not great for Denver, but it is good for fantasy for Judy and Fant to get all these targets. And it's horrible for Sutton. It's just not, it's not ideal. Judy disappointing to an extent, like you mentioned with the lack of efficiency there. And now we have a couple of seasons where he's got the, the target volume, but he hasn't really done as much with it as we would like to see. Now, my thought here, and you and I have talked about this a lot, but the drawing the targets is the key thing and is the big sign about his talent level. He had some drops last season. We wouldn't expect that to continue to be a thing unless it gets in his head, which, I mean, he's looked fine from that perspective this season. The real issue for him, I think, is quarterback play. And so if they do get an Aaron Rodgers, one of the things with the Broncos that they still seem to be in a better position to eventually win that sweepstakes. It'll be interesting to see if it's the Broncos or the Steelers. You know, we've seen some people suggest that Jordan Love going out there and playing poorly in Rodgers' absence may create even more of an incentive for the Packers to keep Aaron Rodgers around. Maybe he won't depart. But I would expect to see Rodgers with the Steelers or with the Broncos next season. And so this might be a, a tiny little bit of a buy window for Judy and Dynasty. I, you know, He was one of the big risers as we went down the stretch of draft season. And then you know to go out with the injury early for the Broncos to look just both mediocre and inconsistent, both of those things you know, will not uh, draw fantasy managers to the particular assets. So I would think that trying to get him in a trade right now, now we know that there are still a ton of people who are very high on him, but I mean, he could be the next guy to break out. I don't think to, clearly I don't think to a Justin Jefferson or a CD lamb level, but he's going to kind of, I would suggest move halfway, whatever that gap is for you is going to yeah, move halfway I, and closing it. Is that where you are with him too? Yeah. The example I use in the off season a little bit, with the way he had the high targets per out run last year, but not really a ton of efficiency was that I felt like his upside was sort of like Deontay Johnson's in the sense that he could dominate targets, but maybe not be particularly efficient. Now we've seen that again with Deontay this year where he continues to get just insane target volume every single week. But if you look at things like yards per target or even catch rate, it's just not good. And it hasn't been good his whole career. It's not, I mean, it's not terrible, but it's not good. It's not like he's like, there's not a lot other than his ability to earn a ton of targets that says that he's good. He's good for fantasy, absolutely. But that ability to earn targets is a skill. And so when I say there's not a lot other than that ability to earn targets, I, I'm that's a big caveat. I mean, that is something that makes him good, but he doesn't do a ton with those targets necessarily. That was sort of the thing that I was concerned about with Judy. When we talked in, during draft season, I wasn't necessarily as high on him. I the, the that's I don't think that's ultimately Judy's ceiling. But when you say, look, this is a second year, we're starting to see some of the same trends. We haven't seen a huge sample for him this year either. Uh, last year, I mean, he has not had good quarterback play. Like you said, he's 22 years old. He had a 20, 21-year-old season last year. I don't think he's necessarily locked into that being his only ceiling. And if you're talking about like Deontay Johnson, but with a little bit more efficiency than Deontay, and Deontay's, again, fine, not just, just not good, like above average in terms of efficiency, maybe a little bit below average. If Judy can be average or above average with a really high target rate, that becomes a really strong profile. So, I mean, that's the way that I would look at it. Not like a Jefferson or those guys, more like a Deontay, but also with a little bit more efficiency. And it's interesting you mentioned Johnson because he was the other guy I kind of wanted to ask you about. 13 targets this last week with Mason Rudolph. As you mentioned, just 
an absolute target hog, someone whose you know overall upside is being capped or camouflaged by this horrific quarterback play. I mean, you have Mason Rudolph, you have the rain, you have the Steelers, you have all of this element here. It, it's interesting to me in terms of buying Johnson, both for what you might get at the end of this season and what you might get in the future with the Steelers being another team that is likely to upgrade at quarterback next season. Now they could end up with a young QB who makes things just as bad or creates this kind of bridge time period where it's sort of a dead area for the fantasy assets. But Johnson with these elite target numbers, we know that they don't have anything else because they had a huge number of targets less this last week to Ray Ray McLeod, which it was cool to see him be able to take a little bit of an advantage of that anytime that even if it's just for one game we have these guys who've been battling and they go out there and they're a big part of it i think that's fun but johnson has a very good finishing stretch they have kansas city and cleveland in week 16 and 17 both of those games could be situations where even a bad passing offense uh, gets quite a few points to the receivers and then obviously you have the chance for next season johnson one of these guys that we should be trying to buy in leagues because he just can't be that expensive right now the steelers have been too too lousy i think it's interesting because i i think there are some people who look at the targets and think he's more than he is uh, do, do you do do you think that uh, i'm looking at his numbers now he's been in terms of catch rate and look some of this is quarterback play i completely agree but 64% as a rookie on 92 targets, 61%, 63%. Those are fine catch rates, right? 7.4 yards per target, 6.4, 7.5. And those are not necessarily stats that are going to be stable or anything either. Uh, they can spike. You can have a great year. This is the sort of after you've earned the target efficiency side of things that we tend to fade because we want to look at target rate and things like that. But – we do have now three years of a sample where like he hasn't really even flirted with eight yards per target. He hasn't really flirted with a catch rate up over 65%, which some of the better, you know, underneath target earners do get up over 65%. I, I mean, and he was like an older prospect. You know, he started in the league at 23. The joke we always had was that Juju is actually younger than him, a year younger than him, I believe. And, and, you know, obviously Deontay was, came into the league a year later. And so, He's already 25. He'll be 26 going into next year. In terms of um, in terms of dynasty and all of those things, I I don't know. I don't know if I'm if I'm buying Deontay. I think there's it, it would depend on price, like you said. I think there's enough people that know how strong he is at earning targets and how many games he's had with double digit targets and all that stuff that there is more hope that he can be more than what he probably actually is. I guess is sort of the way that I would frame it. I don't necessarily think he's a lock to have this efficiency regress, even though that is the part of it that could easily improve. But I don't know. Our sample's pretty big now. They're over 300 targets, and he's just pretty middling. 7.0 yards per target in his career, 62% catch rate. And some of that's depth of target related, all that stuff. But uh, he earns big targets. He doesn't do a ton with them. That's That's sort of the story of him, in my opinion. Yeah, it's interesting because this kind of goes against so much of of what I'm always telling people, which is that we do want these guys with the big numbers and fantasy points over expectation. Now, I think you have to look at that in terms of the context. And so in some of these situations where teams get very desperate and they have to force a lot of targets to the main guy, and a lot of those targets are very low value, then I mean you have to adjust. And it is one of the reasons why there is some value to, to watching these games and, and getting a sense of what the target quality is like. 
I can see it go either way. I mean, I, I like the points that you make there. I think that for Johnson, based on his look out there on the field, I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody other than maybe like a, a Christian McCaffrey, which is sort of funny since he's a running back, but anybody who comes open off of the snap as quickly as Deontay Johnson with such frequency, right? Which is one of the reasons why he draws targets. One of the things that really impresses me is that he draws targets within an offense where you have Chase Claypool and you have Judy Smith-Schuster. And so maybe this is a thing where Claypool, you know, even after he had that first half of his rookie season that was so impressive, I mean, there are still a lot of questions about Claypool. Maybe after the injury that Juju suffered early in his third season there, he just has never come anywhere close to being the guy physically that he was when he was you know, just this amazing player as one of the youngest players in the entire NFL. So maybe he's drawing targets within the context of an offense where his teammates are actually not very good. And that would change things a little bit. And if you do have confidence in Claypool, if you do think that Juju, once he moves to a new team, eventually at some point here in free agency, is going to have a little bit of a career renaissance, you know, you look at that playoff game last season, for example, where Juju has such a big game, then in some ways the ability to draw targets is even more impressive. And so for me, I think that the lack of efficiency, I mean, he went through one of the worst drop stretches that you'll ever see last season where it was i mean with judy it looked like i mean these are plays that he should make could make he had some weird drops but they look very fluky with johnson i mean he clearly got to the point where he did not think he was going to catch the ball and to the point where this guy who gets open so easily that he is the number one target was actually being sidelined on occasion just to give him a little bit of a mental break i mean he was done from a catching the ball perspective, I mean, you just can't have your number one wide receiver not believe he's going to catch the ball when it's thrown to him. That's how all those drives end. That hasn't seemed to be the case this season. This season, it's looked like just horrific quarterback play. And so if he comes back, he's able to catch the ball, the quarterback play improves, he's still this guy who gets open at an unreal level, then I think there's some reason for excitement. Within all of this, is it just comes back to the question then of price. And so I think that you do have to, in some ways, pay for him more like a, a Julian Edelman. But if you had an Edelman, I mean, Edelman emerged so late because of what he went through uh, in the early part of his career, the position change, all that kind of thing, getting used to what they were doing you know, in the New England offense. But I mean, if you have a, a 26-year-old Julian Edelman, you know, what would you pay for that? Now, the flip side of that is Edelman had Tom Brady at the point where he was really dynamic. You know, we don't know what the Steelers are going to have. Do you have any kind of big picture thoughts? I think you just sort of convinced me. I mean, I, I think that was a good point. I mean, I think the floor, right, if you have this ability to earn targets, and even if it is, you know, you, you laid out the, the arguments that I, I do think are very sound. You know, there, there are sort of two elements here. It could be that Claypool and Judy aren't that much target competition. It could be that we're even more impressed because he's sort of dominated two guys that are also good, um, or at least, you know, in terms of a second and a third receiver better than, than most teams have in, in terms of target competition, even if it is the the former and they're both not very good. And we find that out over multiple years here. And Juju is Hakeem Nicks, you know, Claypool was just this uh, athletic freak that hit on some, some big plays and isn't actually a very good receiver or, or whatever, just in that scenario, it's still a good thing that Deontay Johnson has earned. I mean, the, the degree to which he earns targets is, is just ridiculous. And so basically my case was like, well, does he ever have the ceiling? But your case is more or less, does that matter if we have this massive target rate over multiple years? And also maybe he could have the ceiling at some point. And so you could have, 
just a really long career of good seasons and potentially even a couple great seasons, the ability to earn those targets uh, is going to translate basically, even if he is in a tougher offense with more, you know, even in that former scenario where Juju and Claypool aren't good, if he gets into a situation where he has more competition, he's not going to completely go away. I mean, his target rate has been on a per out run basis, just too consistently good over his first three years. So I think you did pretty much convince me that it's sort of all upside high floor, you know, small miss, big hit type type play there. And so, yeah, I think that's a, I think that makes a lot of sense. Are are you, I mean, obviously we all are to an extent. What, what are your thoughts on targeting players off a few of these teams where it seems like number one, they just are going to have a quarterback upgrade almost regardless of what they do in 2022. And then also the possibility that, you know, any of these individual teams might get, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, you can make the case that that idea uh, that this whole Aaron Rodgers thing has caused people to make bad reality decisions and bad fantasy decisions. You know, you had mentioned you thought these teams thought they were going to get Aaron Rodgers. And so they didn't take Justin Fields. We also have cases where, you know, a lot of us were not necessarily trying to overpay or, or moving the dial a lot but just making sure that we created some exposure to receivers off of some of these teams where we thought the receivers were discounted but all of a sudden it would change in a big way if rogers came well he didn't um for 2022 on prices are are you factoring that in at all yeah i mean i I do think rogers is going to be elsewhere i think he you know didn't want to play this year in green bay and he doesn't seem like somebody who forgets and you know, can can move on and not hold a grudge. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's not doesn't seem like that's really in his emotional uh, piggy bank there. So he I, seems I, pretty placid. Yeah, I, I I don't think we'll see him in Green Bay, and obviously he would be a massive upgrade. You know, to to a ton of offenses around the league, right? Um, but particularly for these guys, certainly, and the way that he's locked into Adam Storrow's career and all these things. I mean. He's certainly willing to throw to uh, a receiver who wins in one-on-ones and he feels comfortable with. So and we haven't seen that type of situation. I mean, I guess Brady is a good example. I was going to say since Manning, but Brady Brady went to Tampa and, and has obviously been very good for the Tampa passing game and immediately raised some of the profiles. That, those guys already had pretty high profiles just because you had Jameis and you had the Arians offense and, and they were swinging, uh, slinging the ball around. But yeah, I mean, I, Manning coming into Denver – and doing for what, you know, Demarius and Eric Decker that obviously Tim, what was it? Tim Tebow before. Yeah, I was, I was, and, and Wes Welker came as well. I was kind of thinking specifically the guys that were there before with Tebow. I was Tebow there right before Manning. I think he was and Demarius and Decker and those guys, they looked good, but they, they couldn't perform. And then Manning comes in and suddenly, I mean, they're two of the best receivers in the league that first year. Um, and Welker was there and then, and then Manny, like you said, yeah, I mean, obviously you add, I mean, it's, you don't really need evidence. You add a, add a quarterback of Aaron Rodgers caliber. He's going to up, up the, the ceiling, the floor, the ceiling, everything for everyone in the passing game. Well, then the part that I took out of that, I felt like you were very close at one point to saying, and so I'm going to kind of connect the dots here. Jerry Judy is the next Devonte Adams. Make sure you get him in all of your leagues can't i can't deny that <laughs> Devontae adams oh man i hadn't really thought that through yet but if, i mean look Devontae adams never actually been that efficient of a player himself that's something that especially before he had multiple just so dominant fantasy seasons 
you could have had these same conversations about him. Look, he, you know, yards per target. He's had, he had some seasons where he was at his first big target season. I mean, obviously his first two years, we all kind of know he wasn't very good, but his first big target season, only 8.2 yards per target. Then he was at 7.6 and he had these double digit TD seasons. And it was, well, you know, is he actually this great or is it the TDs that are kind of booing him? And, And he's, he's only had one season his whole career now that he's been well above average in terms of yards per target and, what you'd expect, at least for a player of his caliber, but he cons- consistently scores the TDs, consistently draws the targets. I mean, God, that's a that's the upside comp. You're, you're exactly right. Very nice. Well, we're gonna leave it there. We we can't make a a bolder claim than that to finish the show. So, uh, good luck to everyone in week eleven. This is the week to make your purse, secure your playoff spot. We'll be right there with you. Uh, I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretch. Make sure you subscribe to Stealing Signals. You'll get all this great content that you heard throughout the show today. If you want to get a 10% discount to Rotoviz, use the coupon code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Listening to the pods gets you that little bit off of the subscription there. If you can, leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Refresh them if you're feeling especially friendly and subscribe to the feed. You'll get the episode as soon as it comes out. Good luck this week. We'll talk to you again on Monday. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.